Hello, this is Jeff Otis, partner at Evergreen, and you're listening to A Deep Dive with Evergreen on the Evergreen Exchange. I hope you enjoy this lengthy conversation between myself and Evergreen co-CIO and director of portfolios, Jeff Dix. And as always, thanks for listening. All views and opinions expressed by the host and any guests of the podcast are solely the individual's views and do not necessarily reflect the views of Evergreen GovCal. Evergreen GovCal's clients may hold securities mentioned in this podcast at any given time. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions or be considered investment advice. Enjoy the episode. All right. Well, I'm joined again by Evergreen co-CIO and director of portfolios, Jeff Dix. And Jeff, welcome back to the podcast. Good to be here, Jeff. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a month or two. Uh, not like not like markets have uh, relented at all, right? It's been it's been a it's been a very turbulent time uh, as we've been going through this, and uh, you know. I've been in meetings every day with clients talking about conditions and obviously a lot of conversations with our investment team throughout, but thought it'd be good to just take a, take a pause here, get you on, um, get your thoughts as we talk internally daily about what's going on in markets and, uh, and kind of some, some of the things that we're preparing for, but, uh, let's just pause for a second and talk about rear view. So what's going on right now, what's driving markets and let's start there with you. Yeah, sure. So I guess from a market's perspective, of course, and we've talked about this, it's been an extremely challenging year. GavCal ran a really good chart basically showing the drawdown in total market cap of both U.S. equities and fixed income. And it's been the largest on record. $17 trillion has been wiped out this year. That's almost double 0809. And the unique part about this year, of course, is equities are down over 20%, and bonds, in some cases, are down over 20%, but down, call it 15 to you know 25%. So if you look at a 60 portfolio through quarter three, down 17% on the year, which is worse than any year over the last 30 years through quarter three, worse than 08, 09, uh, and worse than any other bear market over that time frame. And really, you know, I think it's the Fed has basically kind of been a wrecking ball this year. They're tightening at the fastest pace ever. Uh, just recently, they moved the Fed funds up to 3%. And that's over a eight-month period, uh, eight or nine months, a little over eight months. And the, and the expectation, if you look at uh, interest rate futures, is that they're going to go 75 basis points uh, on, on November 2nd. So that would be 3.75% in under nine months. If you look at the past seven hiking cycles, I think 94, 95 was the next sharpest. And over that time frame, over like a nine month time frame, they only moved up by 1.75%. So this is more than double the quickness of any hiking cycle on record. And if you if you look at all of these hiking cycles, the Fed always over tightens. This time is very unlikely to be different. They were they were certainly too slow, and, and you know David Hay talked about this. We wrote about this. We've discussed this on the podcast, but they were slow, to, too slow to raise rates in 2021. And at this point, they've overcorrected. Um, the yield curve now is deeply inverted, so that's where the two-year Treasury is yielding around four and a half. Um, you know, longer-term rates, the 10 years right around four right now. That's been a really good recession call historically. So whether you define a recession as two negative real GDP quarters that happened in Q1 and Q2, 
or also the National Bureau of Economic Research. They officially can call a recession as well. I think when we look back in time, they will call this period a recession. Um, so it's, you know, it's been it's been ugly and it's been induced by the Fed. I think they're moving too fast at this point. You know, on the good side, on the good news side, I think the consumer is in pretty good shape. Um, you know, we we obviously manage individual security portfolios and we track individual companies very closely. And, you know, listening to the Bank of America earnings call, their CEO, Brian Moynihan, basically highlighted and they have a lot of data on the consumer that consumer spending grew 10% in Q3. They also highlighted that the budgets for the consumer looked pretty healthy. So I think the good news is, is the consumer balance sheet's in good shape. Wages are up. They're still spending. So, you know, it, it's still unlikely that we have a really, really severe recession across the entire economy. Certainly pockets like housing probably will be relatively severe. Certainly that area is seeing a major contraction in activity. But fortunately, consumers in good good shape. Also, the other point I'd make is that every time the Fed has embarked on a tightening cycle, they have reversed all of the interest rate increases once they ease. And I do think we are we are much closer to easing at this point in time. Um, and and right now the market's anticipating, and even the Fed's anticipating cutting rates. Uh, they're further out, but the market's anticipating a, a cut in 2023 in early to mid 2023 so that those those items you know maybe may may add some relief to, to equities and especially bonds so there could be some some positive catalyst uh coming up yeah you're right on housing i mean multiple contacts that i have in the housing or housing related fields are telling me that activities down 60 70 percent i mean I, i've got uh, i've got connections in in the appraisal you know in appraisal industry and and their volumes down i think he said 75 percent from a year ago contacts i have in the lending business mortgage lending business i mean almost down 70 80 percent from a year ago because the refi yeah. thing has just completely dried up so it's only new purchases yeah. right and so yeah you're right there there is severe stuff happening in in at least those industries I want to talk a little bit about uh, not not necessarily housing. I, I saw a chart recently. You mentioned a little bit of this earlier, but I saw a chart. I saw a chart earlier that uh, went back to 1926, and it and it plotted out bond returns and stock returns for the year on a on an x x y uh, graph. And of all of the years since 1926, there was only three years. Uh, where both stocks and bonds were negative. And of those three, this was the one that was the most severe sell-off in bonds. So you've only had three situations where stocks and bonds were down in the same year. And in those three markets where stocks obviously are down, this was the one where, where bonds were down the most. So let's just talk a little bit about the bond market. You know, Maybe you can do a little like bad news, good news, or good news, bad news on this and talk about the opportunities that we see there. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. And yes, that is, the, I mean, you kind of highlighted the bad news, right? I mean, the year has been awful for bond investors. Uh, and actually, we're doing a chart book this week. And if you run a seasonality chart, which basically shows the total return for bonds each year for the last 30 years, you look at investment grade corporate bonds, they're down 22.6% on the year. 
at this point, the only other, the, the, the biggest negative return on bonds over the last, and let me see, this is uh, about 22 years, was minus 4%. So this has been significantly worse than any year on record over the last 30 years, I think, ever for investment-grade corporate bonds. But the good news is a lot of the bond market looks pretty attractive to us now. And I think if you you start on the safer side of the bond market, so short-duration, high-quality debt, you know, two-year Treasury yield, four and a half, you can build out a... U.S. Treasury and investment-grade corporate bond portfolio with a sh- with a with a very short maturity profile yielding five. Um, mortgage-backed securities, uh, agency mortgage-backed securities, which are backed by the the U.S. government, yield five and a half. That is a 13-year high. Um, that that area looks quite attractive to us, and we're putting money to work there. On the mortgage-backed security side, there's mortgage REITs, and these are essentially uh, financial companies that use leverage to buy mortgage debt, um, and they earn the spread with the leverage. and And those particular companies are yielding, you know, ten to ten to fifteen. And you know, we've uh, focused on some of the higher quality players in the space. A lot of them are trading at 0.7 times book, 2.9 times book, which which is cheap relative to history, and the the return environment is quite quite attractive for these guys, and they're down anywhere from 30, 40 to 50 percent on the year. So that's kind of a leveraged way to play the mortgage-backed security space. Although we do like just buying the mortgage-backed securities as well for our bond portfolios. On a little bit of the the higher beta end, uh, corporate bonds look really attractive. If you look at investment grade or triple B rated corporate bonds, um, they're yielding around 6%. Um, that is also near the 12 year high. If you look at, and they're actually up near 6.5%, I'm sorry. And if you look at that yield relative to 10 year inflation expectations, it's the highest real yield in the last 12 years. Inflation expectations on a 10-year basis are now about two and a half. So you're getting the best real yield over the last 12 years. Double Bs yield over seven. Um, you know, so you're able to build. And in in many cases, we're finding high-quality double B-rated corporate bonds yielding eight, nine percent. You know, and one thing that that we actually think makes sense right now is to extend the maturity profile of our corporate bond portfolios. And this is a little bit counterintuitive, but the yield curve is very, very flat right now. Even on, you know, obviously the treasury curve is inverted, but even the corporate bond yield curve is very, very flat. In other words, you can get a similar rate of return on a two-year bond relative to a seven, eight, nine, ten-year bond. For instance, as an example, you could go out and buy, say, a double B-rated bond that yields seven for two years. Uh, you could also go out 10 years and buy a corporate bond for the same issuer that yields 7% maturing in 10 years. Now, one might think, well, it's safer to buy the two-year bond. It's the same yield, so might as well go shorter. However, from our vantage point, you actually want to lock in the yield at this point, given yields are up near the high, because you're not... You, one, the price appreciation or, or upside is much greater if interest rates do come back down. 
But in addition, if the Fed does um, move to a uh, easing stance where they cut rates, and, and as we discussed, usually they cut rates back to where they were before the tightening cycle began, interest rates could be a lot lower two years from now. So if you bought that 7% bond maturing in two years, now you're going to need to reinvest that and you're likely faced with a lower yield environment where that's buying that 7% bond maturing in 10 years uh, would have provided a much better return over time. Um, so, you know, that was kind of a, a long-winded, you know, message there. But basically, we are extending the maturity profile for a lot of our bond portfolios. Uh, you know, another area of the income market that looks reasonably attractive right now are business development companies. Um, these are financial companies that lend to private uh, companies uh, and pay a, and, and pay a very high distribution rate. They generally distribute nearly all of the the income that's generated from these private lending uh, investments. Um, a lot of these companies are down, you know, 30, 40 percent from the peaks, and they're trading below their net asset value, and they're they're covering they're they're well covering their distributions. That's another area that also looks pretty attractive at this point in time. But generally speaking, you know, it's a good time to put money to work on the bond within the bond markets. Um, we're being pretty aggressive in a lot of these areas we discussed. Uh, fortunately, we were relatively short duration heading into this year. So it allows us the opportunity to sell some of those shorter issues and buy a lot of these areas that are deeply depressed. Yeah, that's what I was going to actually go to uh, as a follow up is if you were going to give yourself a bit of a, a scorecard, right, uh, grade yourself or grade our, our team's management of the bond portfolio over the last 12 to 18 months. Uh, and, I, and I think of, you know, I'm a big sports fan. So I listen to Colin Coward, Fox, Fox Sports, this podcast, and he has a segment of like, uh, where was Colin right? Right. And so then like he talks about the things that he predicted basically that went, that, that came to be, and then where was Colin wrong? What were the, you know, and I, we've been doing these podcasts now for a year or two, so we could go back and, and I'm sure grab clips of it, but I'm, I specifically remember talking at length with you a year, year and a half ago about, uh, being in shorter duration, being in fixed to floating rate debt, things like that. If you were going to do like kind of a recap of, you know, should you have been an evergreen client in with some allocation to fixed income? How have our fixed income portfolios held up compared to, you know, like a traditional 60 40 stock bond portfolio on the bond side and why? Yeah, I think I got to be a and little you can careful obviously, here. I, I think yeah, I need to be a little careful here. You got to be general, my, right? Just be yeah. general. Yeah, our compliance Generally officers speaking. on the call. So right. I need to kind of watch what I say here a little bit, but. I think we've done a really good job. I mean, you go back to 2020 and we were um, entering that time period um, with a lot of high quality debt that held up really well during COVID. Um, I will say we did have a, a reasonable reasonable amount of energy exposure, um, which, you know, was really tough early on in COVID. Um, you know, we did, we were kind of, you know, we had some good advice from our, our folks at GAFCAL that Chinese oil demand was was falling at a, a really quick pace in February of 2020. But we did have a lot of cash and we had a lot of high quality debt. So during that COVID period, we were able to recycle the shorter high quality bonds, uh, a lot of CDs, treasuries into corporate bonds, equities. You know, the MLPs, the midstream energy securities really were challenging 
during that 30 plus percent drawdown in the S&P. And quite frankly, you know, at that point in time, the performance for our uh, income portfolios were challenged because we do own equities, we do own real estate, we do own midstream energy securities, we own a fair amount of corporate bonds as well. So during the deep, the deepest part of that sell-off, uh, we were challenged from a performance perspective, but we also were very aggressive rotating. And how we finished the year was fantastic because a lot of those items bounced back significantly. And I remember, I think around 6 a.m. on, can't remember if it was the 20th of March. 23rd. Well, it might have been the 23rd. It was when the Fed announced the um, – Yeah the credit facility and you know we decided that day we wanted to be pretty aggressive buying into that decision because we thought that was going to be a pivotal point for the bond market which at that point was down you know 20 25 percent for a lot of you know investment grade corporates preferred equities so that kind of had us you know get a lot more aggressive at that point in time so throughout 2020 our portfolios performed really well in 2021 um, we continue to kind of hold that allocation that we uh, aggressively bought into in 2020. But what we kind of did throughout 2021 was shorten our maturity profile for our bond portfolios, given how low interest rates were. And, you know, you had the 10 year at one point down to something like 50 basis points, you know, investment grade bonds were paying 2% or so, 2, 3%. High yield bonds at one point yielded under four, which is pretty wild to think about that the high yield bond market was yielding something like 3.85% uh, around there. So fortunately, you know, we were fairly short in our maturity profile, so we've held in better this year. Also, having that energy exposure has been one of the areas that's done well this year. Um, you know, midstream energy, energy equities have performed really well. So having those in our income portfolios has stabilized our returns. And then we've been able to pivot a bit. So, you know, you know, selling some of the stuff that's held up well, rotating into um, double B rated corporate bonds, triple B rated corporate bonds, um, extending the maturity profile. I think these periods of pain, particularly in the income markets, are a really good opportunity to increase the cash flow for our clients. And, I, you know, generally speaking, our, our bond portfolios are yielding six to seven percent at this point. So it's, you know, these periods are never fun, but if you can use them to your advantage, it can really help with returns on a forward-looking basis. That's my main point, though. That's what I wanted to at least capture is working with a with an active manager such as Evergreen or others, but such as Evergreen, at least active on the on the bond side, right? Because a lot of firms actively trade their stock portfolio and then use a more passive approach or a more like bond ladder approach to their fixed income uh, allocation or whatever it is for, for clients. Uh, whereas we actively manage both sides, right? We're actively managing the equity piece and we're actively managing the entire income piece, not just fixed income, but but all income, including equity income. But let's just specifically on fixed income, throughout this cycle of interest rates, you've seen clients uh, from our management rotate from you know, shorter duration to extending now duration, you know, but even like leading into 2020, I remember uh, I remember you guys trying to capture you know, CDs at one point, like leading into like late 2019, leading into 2020, and then uh, taking advantage of that during the sell-off. And so being able to extend or shorten duration, move in and out of whatever credit quality you want and capture a ton of yield for, for clients when opportunity is there. And now 
in, ter- in terms of the last three to five years, you're saying this point in the cycle is offer- is offering the best entry point for cash to lock up yields moving forward, plus potentially upside. Yeah, for sure. And so, I, and I'll just do one more thing on the bond side. We're we're seeing bonds at significant discounts. So, right. for instance, just this week, and I I, can't, I don't think I can mention the exact issuer, but we bought a, a really high quality technology company. They're rated triple B, triple B plus, triple B, and they had a three and a half percent coupon that they issued back in 2021. Um, this is a longer maturity, it matures in 2041. And and, and actually it's, that's probably the longest maturity we've, we've purchased. We've been more focusing on late 29, 30, you know, 31, when, when I'm talking about extending duration, but I just wanna bring up this, this particular structure, cause it's pretty prevalent in the bond market that the bonds now are priced at $65. So with that three and a half percent coupon, you're getting a current yield of around five and a half percent and you know you're buying the bonds at 65 and over time you're going to get back 100. so in other words it's a nice current yield um, but there's also upside over time assuming there's no credit issues with the particular company that that i'm referencing and that's very prevalent in the bond market these days where you're getting one, an attractive cash flow, but two, there's actually some good upside. And to take that one step further, you don't necessarily need to hold these bonds to maturity. Um, if the interest rate environment does change where yields come down, you could have a really, really attractive return over a two, three, four year time frame where then maybe it makes sense to sell those longer maturities and you can buy something a little bit shorter or rotate into another area of the income world that we think is a little bit more attractive at that time. So it's just, and in, in we're seeing all sorts of these big discounts where there, there's good upside over time, but at the end of the day, if you do hold to maturity, and again, there's no credit issues with the underlying company, you have an embedded kind of capital gain plus the income you're gonna be realizing over time. Final question on this. How does that compare to if you just had a fixed income uh, index fund, right? Or or, so, or some type of just like owning the ag? Well, in this environment, you really want to own individual bonds. And the problem lies with a lot of the bond funds. There are some actively managed bond funds where this isn't necessarily the case. But let's just take passive bond funds as an example. There is, call it a investment grade, five to seven year corporate bond fund. The problem with these funds in a rising interest rate environment, well, there's a few problems I'd say to the passive funds. First of which is the mandate to hold, say a certain maturity profile. If you're holding five to seven year bonds and the bonds go down in value, and then the bond becomes now a five year maturity, that fund manager sells the bond at a loss and then buys a seven-year bond. And what what really happens in that environment is you're kind of locking in losses. And if you're in a perpetual rise in interest rate environment, you're not guaranteed to get your money back. Um, In other words, if you're holding the individual bonds, you might just keep the bond and then recover the value over time. So that's one kind of innate problem with passive bond funds. The other issue is say in the high yield bond market, the biggest weightings of the index are the biggest debt issuers. 
And a lot of times the biggest debt issuers, not always, but a lot of times the biggest debt issuers you might want to might want to avoid. And they're the biggest weightings a lot of times in the high yield bond benchmarks. And these bond high yield bond funds are looking to mimic the index. So then they're kind of overweighting credits without any credit due diligence. So from our vantage point, we'd rather choose the individual credit. A lot of times they're going to be smaller weights in the, the index and we can kind of hand select them as opposed to just blindly buying everything. Yeah, it seems like it would favor. It seems like a, maybe a more benign environment might favor a more passive approach, but a more volatile and especially like a, a you know extreme moves in in rates would favor potentially a more active approach. You know, just yeah, sure. how you're positioning. Yeah, no, 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 that's right. And no, and just to just uh, not to stay on the su- subject too long, but for sure, you're right. No, I, mean, I think it's important the- because what happens when I talk to clients, and this is broadly speaking, uh, there's obviously there's there's clients we work with that I would say are experts in markets, right? And then there's a lot of clients who are more novice and a lot of clients who have a decent handle of it that follow it reasonably, you know, but but leave it up to us. So I I, I sense that clients have a better handle. Uh, and again, this is across the board. Most have a much better handle on equity markets and they watch it on TV and they see CNBC or what Jim Cramer is talking about. And it's always basically equity based. So it's, you know, what stocks to own, what stocks not to own, what to be buying, what to be selling. When it gets to bond investing, there's a lot of there's a lot of clients who kind of look at me like, wait, what did you just say? You know, it's almost like a foreign language uh, to many. And so why I'm pressing you on this is I think the education of it is so important. And if we can do just a little bit of it here on a podcast, maybe drip on that over time, I think it could be really helpful for people to just kind of broaden their their investment scope uh, in terms of their handle of what we're doing. So anyways, that's that's why I'm pressing you on this a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. And the, the only point I was gonna make with regard to your comments is yeah, I can go the other way too. So like the high yield index, if high yield struggled significantly, and we tend to avoid the the junkiest corner of that market, the triple C market, which has a, a a very high default rate over time. I think about 10% per year. You know, if, if the high yield market rebounds, the junkiest stuff is going to rebound the most. So there there can be periods where just blindly indexing cannot perform, but over time, you know, certainly we we think an active approach makes sense. And maybe especially right now. Okay, so let's wrap up with just some commentary on equities. Uh, you know, obviously, equities are getting a lot of news. Uh, obviously, bonds are getting a ton of news right now, too. But let's talk about equities, both U.S. and international, and then we'll wrap up. So just maybe a few comments on what's happening with equity markets, uh, both here and abroad, and opportunities that you see that clients should be focused on, or I should sure. say investors should be focused on. Yeah, well, I mean, if you look back two weeks ago, stocks made a new low and they they looked oversold on a technical basis. As the stock market has made new lows this year, we are tactically and you know methodically you know buying into that into those sell-offs. Um, we are going to be entering a seasonally strong part of the year coming up. Uh, also, if you look at buying equities when they're down twenty percent. And actually, I, I kind of was looking at this this week for the chart book. And over the last 30 years, if you bought equities when they're down 15 to 25% off their highs, 
So, and there have been periods where equities, of course, have been off more than 25% off their highs, but let's exclude those periods for per- this purpose, given the equity market was down around 25%, peak to trough, and down a little over 20 today. If you buy equities down anywhere from 15 to 25 over the next two-year period, and there's been about 300 days where this has occurred, the forward two-year price gain is 16%. Now, if you buy equities down 25 plus, there's been about 200 days where that's occurred over the last 30 years, and the two-year returns 30%. And and just the the broad point is generally when you're buying equities down at this level, it it helps you over the long term. And while we're still cautious on the macro environment, we think it makes sense to kind of slowly buy into this sell-off. And we do have a bit more dry powder that we would use further down in the equity markets but we also have been proactively buying. Now, if you look at valuation, the S&P trades around 17, a little over 17 times this year's earnings. The 10-year average is 18 times, so valuation does look slightly cheap relative to history. Now, I think you can make the case, the 10-year just hit 4.25, it's around four today, but relative to interest rates, they're just a little bit expensive. In other words, the risk premium for equities is a little bit smaller than it is over the last 10 years, given interest rates are near the high. Now, equities, and and this gets a little bit intricate, but equities are forward-looking. So if you look at market-based inflation expectations, they have come down pretty significantly. Also, when the Fed does pivot to an easing, which the market anticipates next year, the 10-year treasury almost always drops sharply in yield in that environment. So I think part of it is, well, yeah, today equities are a little bit expensive versus interest rates, but where are interest rates going to be over the next decade? I certainly you know, believe that you know interest rates will come back down a bit from here. Um, I know others might argue the other way there. However, you know, if interest rates do come back down, that particular metric's going to improve, and the S&P does trade slightly cheap. Uh, at this point, kind of where we're looking on the equity side, it's pretty pretty even between, you know, growth stocks, value stocks, more cyclical areas of the economy. You know, you look at value stocks, they still look pretty attractive. We're focusing on high free cash flow generators with good balance sheets. You could also certainly make the case to, to dollar cost average into high quality tech. Again, you know, we are focusing on strong balance sheets. A lot of these companies are now trading kind of in line with the market, maybe slightly expensive. Um, you know, valuations have come down sharply for the, the biggest members of the NASDAQ. Um, and we're not buying all of those, but we're focusing on the ones that have, um, you know, I'd say growth at a reasonable price where valuations aren't you know, massively expensive or significantly expensive, I should say. Um, And eventually, if inflation does come back down and maybe the fears actually eventually move to a deflationary fear, tech will have its time again. Uh, Lastly, I mean, if you look at cyclical companies that are discounting a recession, so think maybe stocks related to housing, um, you know, the retailers, the home builders, um, you know, a lot of these companies are down 60, 50, 60%. And I think having some of that exposure makes some sense too, in terms of focusing part of the portfolio on companies that 
from a price perspective, now look like a recession, a deep recession is inevitable. So I think, but again, we want to focus on companies with good balance sheets. So I think there's lots of areas of the equity market that make sense to be adding to at this point. But I think the, the most important part is to make sure the equities have good balance sheets because it will be a challenging environment for highly leveraged companies that need to refinance, especially highly leveraged companies where if the economy worsens and earnings come down, it can be really tricky to refinance. And that's where you get really challenging situations. So I'd say largely just make sure to focus on companies with, with strong balance sheets, balance sheets. Okay, that's a good recap. Uh, and what about international? Yeah, I'll be quick. I know we've been going a long time now. The dollar, the dollar index, the Dixie's up 16% this year. The euro's down 12. The euro's down 32% since 2011. It's basically at parity versus the U.S. dollar. British pounds even down more on the year. Asian currencies are, are largely down, you know, 10 to 20%. The yen's down 23. The Chinese uh, remnant B is down 10. You look at valuation. The MSCI World XUS trades 11 times this year's earnings. So a big discount. That's a six-point discount versus the S&P at 17 times. Um, in this environment where the currencies are down significantly, say Japanese, European exporters will gain a competitive advantage. Um, and the Fed will eventually reverse course. That's kind of a theme of what we've discussed today. When that happens, you usually get dollar weakness. Um, now, I will say part of the valuation discount is warranted. And particularly with the European economy facing a deep recession, also, Europe and uh, you know countries like Japan are energy importers. So with U.S. energy independence, that gives us a major advantage versus Europe and countries like Japan. But net-net, I think it makes sense to be dollar cost averaging when currencies are down this much and also when valuation looks this appealing. And then adding on the fact that, or not the fact, but the idea that the Fed will eventually reverse course and that could lead to some dollar weakness, I think there is the potential for the currency side to play an important role for international equities. So having a sleeve of that in one's portfolio makes sense. And it actually, you know, from our vantage point, makes sense to add a little there. All right. Sounds good. Again, I appreciate you jumping on with us. Always great to get your insights. Hopefully we'll be able to get you on at least once, maybe twice before year end. And we turn things over to uh, 2023, but a lot to be done be between now and then. Uh, maybe as a final uh, final thing here for in this podcast, we'll, we'll make a quick announcement um, about our new building. So we've moved uh, at least the Bellevue portion of our firm because we've got offices, obviously in Portland, San Francisco, and Napa. But the Bellevue uh, office has moved. We purchased our own building and, uh, you know, about six blocks away from where we were previously. So for those of us, for those of you listening that have visited, have visited us within the last decade, I think we were there from 2009 through just at the end of September in the high rise there right across from Bellevue Square. We've moved about six blocks, um, still on the Bellevue Square side of the freeway 405 there, but we're right up uh, we're right up along where the freeway is. Uh, new address, and it's a two-story building with parking all around the outside of it. So it's going to be far more convenient for clients to visit us without having to park below and take all the elevators up to ninth floor as they did previously. You know, now you just drive up, 
park, walk right in the front door. So it'll be a lot easier for, for those uh, trying to visit us. Um, and we're excited about it. The building looks amazing and, and we're all very excited about it. So a new location, a, a new address is 1412 112th Avenue Northeast. And that's in Bellevue, Washington, 98004. If you're mailing uh, things to us, you need to add suite 100, right? So it would be 1412 112th Avenue Northeast, suite 100, Bellevue, Washington, uh, 98004. So I'm going to miss not uh, sharing a, a wall with you in our previous location, Jeff. We were right next to each other and now you're going to be up on the on the second floor and I'm obviously down on the first, but it's been a good run and excited about our new building. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting. I'm happy. To, it's going to be exciting to show clients and have some events there. And I think, you know, hopefully, you know, clients and, uh, you know, visitors are pleased with the progress. It looks really nice from everything I've seen. So we're excited. All right. I appreciate your time. Enjoy your Halloween with your, your beautiful daughter. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Jeff. Evergreen GovCal is a wealth management firm with offices in Bellevue, Washington, Portland, Oregon, and California's Bay Area. We provide investment management, tax compliance, family office, and retirement planning services. Evergreen is accepting applications for new clients who align with our firm's investment and planning approach. If you think you might be a fit with us, follow the link in the show notes to fill out our prospective client compatibility survey.